The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, good morning. It's good to be together on this Easter Sunday. We want to welcome you to the North Campus of Bethlehem Baptist Church. And especially if you're watching online or in the chapel, we want to especially welcome you and hope that you'll be able to join us in person if you are watching from home. Would you join me? as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we're asking that you would speak to us now through your word to exalt your son, Jesus Christ, through the power of your Holy Spirit. That's what we need. We don't need entertainment, but we need a word from you. So speak so that we would be changed. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you remember a couple of months ago, we were all ready for 2020 to be done? We all thought 2021 is going to be the best year yet. We, we had such high hopes for the coming year in comparison to the year before. And yet the last time I checked, we still live in a broken world, do we not? We live in a world of heartache and tension and hostility. The Democrats and the Republicans didn't suddenly decide to get along with one another. We have racial tensions and increased crime and random acts of violence scattered throughout our country. There's tensions over COVID and reopening and mass and vaccines, and there's political and religious tension across the world. And then maybe some of us this morning, we're here at church, but we know in our hearts and we know just in our extended families that there's tension relationally. Maybe you're a vegan and they're serving ham again at Christmas brunch, and you're quite upset about that. Or maybe it's a couple of more serious issues taking place in family. Maybe you haven't seen your friends or family for many months or health problems or unemployment or loneliness. We just know instinctively, do we not, that we live in a broken world. Our lives bear the scars of this brokenness. It's a little bit like a rubber band. And all the tension that we feel, this rubber band is pulled all the way out. And you know that if you just pull it anymore, it's just going to snap. And so often our world feels that way, just so chock full of tension. And sometimes even our lives feel that way. I wonder if anyone can resonate this morning. Well, the question I want to ask then is, how do we experience peace and joy when our world is so full of hostility and heartache. Or let me put it this way. How can we experience Easter hope year-round when so much of our world feels like the heartache and brokenness of Good Friday? 
Our passage this morning in the book of Acts, I think, answers that question for us. And let me just bring us up to speed. If you haven't been with us for our series in Acts, it's written by a man named Luke. And he wrote two books. The first is called The Gospel of Luke. And there he recorded the life and death and resurrection and the teaching of Jesus. And then he had a part two called The Acts of Apostles. And in that book, he talks about the early church as Jesus is sending them out to be his witnesses and messengers in the world. And our passage this morning, which was just read for us, is this ongoing collision course between the religious leaders of that day, the Jewish religious leaders, and then the apostles that Jesus is establishing to be the new kingdom. And they are on a collision course. And the reason they're on a collision course is because the apostles have been told specifically. They've been commissioned by Jesus. And he says, preach and teach in my name. And the religious leaders, that's the one thing they want them to stop. Stop teaching in his name. So what I want to do this morning is look at our passage in three parts. First, we get opposition and advance. That's point one, opposition and advance. Then we get accusation and invitation. And then we get pragmatism and rejoicing. So we'll look at those three. First, we get opposition and we get advance. Let me just reorient us to Acts 5 once again. Peter and John were previously arrested and they were threatened. They were told, stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And they don't stop. And so here again, They get arrested once again, and they couldn't stop. And so this story that we get now, the kind of intensifying and escalating opposition, breaks down into seven scenes. I'm going to give all seven to us very quickly. First, there is the arrest in verses 17 and 18. They're arrested for proclaiming Jesus. And then we get a release in 19 to 21. An angel frees them from prison, and then they go right back to what they were doing before in the temple, speaking about Jesus. Then we get the discovery, scene three. The religious leaders figure out, wait, our prisoners are gone, and they go and bring them back, but this time not by force. And then we get the interrogation, scene four. The apostles are interrogated and give their answer. And then scene five, 33 to 40. Gamaliel speaks a word of reason. So he's the voice of reason in the midst of this courtroom scene. And then in 40, we get scene six, which is the beating. They're warned and released. And then scene seven, the apostles rejoice to suffer for Jesus and resume speaking about him. So in this account, there's this collision course between the status quo and Jesus' newly established kingdom. And this opposition shows itself in a number of ways. First, there is the arrest. And it says in verse 17 that the religious leaders are jealous of all the attention that these apostles are getting. So they're not driven by good motives, but they want the attention themselves, and they can't understand why these apostles are getting all of the attention, so they're jealous, and so they arrest them. So, so that's the first sign of opposition. The second is that they're openly shamed. In verse 18, it says they're thrown into a public prison so that all could see that these are now criminals. The third thing is that they're interrogated in verse 28 before the council of leaders. This is an intimidating setting. And then it rises up to be a murderous rage in verse 33. They're ready to kill them 
because of what they're doing and why they're not listening. And then they're beaten in verse 40. What the Bible is showing us for believers this morning is that we live in a broken world full of hostility and opposition. It's like the song lyrics say, do you feel that the world is broken? We do, don't we? Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? And that's precisely what's revealed for us here in this passage. The light of the glory of God shines through, and it happens so briefly we might even miss it. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. But it says, But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. This is an amazing miracle. This is the first time an angel comes and delivers the apostles. But if you just read it, it adds absolutely nothing to the story, right? They're in prison. They get released. They go back right out to the temple. They keep preaching and teaching about Jesus, and then they bring them right back, and then there's the trial. So if they just would have skipped that whole section, we'd have a shorter passage to read this morning, and it all more or less would have unfolded the same way. It doesn't substantively advance the story. So we have to ask the question, why does it happen and why does Luke record it for us? I think there's two reasons. It functions to show that God is gloriously and sovereignly in control. And it shows the unstoppable work of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples cannot be stopped. Do you see that? This shows the arrest, and then they go right back out. The angel doesn't say, now join witness protection program. You know, go run away. Go hide out somewhere. Don't show your faces. You know, he says, go right back out to the temple and do the exact same thing that you were doing when you were arrested the first time. Because this is going to communicate to the religious leaders that they are impotent to stop the unstoppable work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is indeed risen. Jesus is alive. You can't stop people from declaring the greatest news in all of the world. Yesterday, we had a glorious Minnesota day. 70 degrees, a light breeze. It's like that every day in San Diego. I don't know why we live here, but... (laughs) But I was outside, and I put up a hammock, and I laid in that hammock, and I took a two-hour nap. That almost never happens. And what I wanted to say to my children is, you can't go inside. You have to stay outside, because this is a glorious Minnesota day. I keep holding my breath, waiting for second winter, and it still hasn't come yet. And I'm hoping it doesn't come. It's such a great day, and you just want to say, look how wonderful it is. Enjoy this sunshine. And so it is with the good news that Jesus himself has risen from the dead. He is alive. He's ruling and reigning. We have his spirit. You cannot stop the unstoppable work of Jesus Christ. You can't stop people who have been gloriously transformed and changed by this gospel from speaking the good news. That is what is taking place. It shows That God is in control. And it shows the religious leaders we're in trouble because we can't stop it. 
We cannot stop it. If beatings won't stop them, if imprisonment won't stop them, and it will show death won't even stop them, what will stop the work of Jesus? Not arrests, not beatings, not threats, not even death will stop the advance of the kingdom of God. And what it also shows is that God is in control because later they're beaten for their faith. That would have been the leather whip sharp stuff at the end, pulling out chunks of flesh. And, and if I was the disciples, I would have said, you know, save the angel for that, uh, not, not the imprisonment. I could spend the night in jail. I just don't want the beating. But these people have been so radically transformed by this good news. They don't bemoan the beating. They say, we were counted worthy to suffer with Jesus. We are with him. Our scars show that now. And it shows these religious leaders, we cannot stop the work of God. The the religious leaders keep throwing up more obstacles, and the apostles keep just running right through them. The religious leaders are the very ones that missed the Messiah, and they murdered him instead. And now, these apostles turning the world upside down by proclaiming Jesus. It's the church of Christ is unstoppable. It's a little bit like when you get Diet Coke and Mentos. You guys know what that combination does, right? Uh, I was thinking of doing it up front, but then we'd have quite a mess. Uh, And in the illustration, Judaism is the Diet Coke. Jesus is the tube of Mentos. And when you drop Jesus in, what the religious leaders are trying to do is put their hands over the spout and saying, let's not let any of it out. And that's an act of futility. Because when you throw Jesus into the mix, there is an explosion and lives get changed. And that's what we see here in this passage. The disciples are decisively transformed. And so for us this morning, we are, some of us, concerned about the world we're living in, aren't we? Laws that may be passed, increasing opposition, loss of religious liberty coming from a dozen different directions, perhaps even hostility. Fear grips some of us. And what we need to remember That Jesus Christ and his kingdom is unstoppable. It will not be stopped. The religious leaders of that day couldn't stop it. And for the last 2,000 years, it has not been stopped. Jesus' kingdom continues to roll forward, saving lives, drawing people to himself. And we, as his people, are on the right side of history, despite what others might try to tell you. The church is unrestrainable. The preaching of the gospel is uncontainable. The spirit is unquenchable. And our God sits in the heavens and rules and reigns from on high so that this Easter we declare he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Despite growing opposition, Jesus' kingdom advances. 
Now, I want to look at our second point, accusation and invitation. The two sections in this text that get the most attention are the interrogation of the apostles and then Gamaliel's word of reason. So we're going to look at each of those in the next two sections. First, we want to look at the interrogation of the apostles, verse 27 to 32. The high priest says to them, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. We told you to stop, and you haven't. But what this also illustrates in these religious leaders' own words is the unstoppable advance of the kingdom of God. You filled all Jerusalem with this teaching. And then they say, in the second half of 28, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And so what they're afraid of is this popular uprising that all the people will realize you religious leaders are the ones that missed it and perhaps they stoned them to death. And so they're saying, you guys are trying to get us killed. What are you doing? So how does Peter and the rest of the apostles respond? Look with me at verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader or author and perfecter and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So first they say, you're right. We are not obeying you. We have to obey God rather than men. And the reason is because our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. What this does is show us that there's a certain fearlessness at work in these apostles because of who God is and because of what they believe. It's like the common saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And the disciples know exactly where they stand, or more precisely, they know exactly who they stand with, namely Jesus And so, if there's a clash of loyalties, Jesus is always to take precedent. Christians cannot and must not be silent about Jesus and what he has accomplished. Now, secondly, they explain why they must proclaim the name of Jesus. It says in verse 30, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Now, they don't just say God, but they say the God of our fathers. What that does is it implies the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We, the apostles, are saying we are the ones that are doing the right thing in this long line of obedience from Abraham. God is the one who covenanted with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and said that he would send his great king someday. And it was Jesus, and we recognized him. And so we're the ones who are following in this long line of obedience. What they're saying to them then is you are the ones that killed him. It's a little bit like saying, that you are an embarrassment to your entire ethnic and religious heritage. Those are fighting words. And I think it's, it's that that gets them to rise up with murderous rage in verse 33. How dare you say that about us? Because these are the religious leaders. They believe that they're in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Levitical priests. And yet what these apostles are saying is, you're all counterfeit. You're not the real thing. You missed the Messiah himself. And then they say, 
whom you killed by hanging on a tree. They don't just say crucified to the cross. And this calls to mind Deuteronomy 21, 23 for these Jewish listeners. And it says this, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. What the Deuteronomy passage was talking about is if you're hung on a tree, it means that you've been cursed. And so, That's actually explained for us in Galatians 3.13. Apostle Paul gives us commentary. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So this gets right to the heart of the Christmas, Christmas, where's my head? Easter gets, gets right to the heart of the Easter message. That Jesus died the death of an executed criminal, cursed by God, so that everyone in Christ would not be under the curse of sin any longer. No condemnation, no shame, but the gift of eternal life. This is the glorious love of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What this shows is that on Good Friday, when Jesus was beaten and tortured and hung on a cross, he was being cursed by God so that the curse of sin all the way back in Genesis 3 would be broken for us forever. I think this is illustrated by a story that a missionary named Bruce Olson wrote about. He was working among an indigenous tribe in Colombia and Venezuela. And there was a pink eye epidemic that was taking place in that country. And the locals uh, wouldn't use the antibiotics, you know, the clear liquid that they would drip in the eye. And so he realized that they wouldn't understand. And so what he does is he goes to someone who's sick, who has kind of a red, itchy, pussing eye, and puts his finger into his eye and scoops out some of the goo and then smears it into his own eye. And so he he develops pink eye and, and he starts getting sick and it's infected. And so then he has the shaman drip the antibiotic into his own eye so that he would then be healed. And then after that, the shaman and everybody else in the village would also use the antibiotic because now they saw that it worked. He had to get sick in order to get them healed. And in that same way, Jesus had to be cursed so that the curse of sin would be gloriously broken for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. He was crucified so that we wouldn't need to be crucified. He was killed so that we would have everlasting life. He was tortured so that what we get when we're beaten is to rejoice that we were counted worthy to suffer with him. What we get in baptism is that we reenact that we have died with him and we have been raised to new life with him. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us. Who loved us. He loved us and he gave himself up for us. So how do we experience peace and joy in a broken and hostile world? We receive the forgiveness of sins that Jesus freely offers to us this morning. It says that in verse 31. Jesus came to bring repentance and forgiveness of sins. And the greatest problem in our world 
in our world full of hostility and tension and brokenness and heartache, the greatest problem is not our world, but it's us. It's the sin inside of each one of us because we are sinners. And Jesus offers us forgiveness of sins so that we can experience his peace and his perfect joy in this broken world. He offers to take away all of our guilt and shame and to break the very power, to break the very power which is at the source of our heartache, which is the curse of sin. And the irony in this whole exchange when they're being interrogated is that the, the religious leaders are, are lobbing accusations. You're trying to kill us! And what's actually taking place? The apostles are trying to get them saved. It's not an accusation that they're throwing back at them. It's an invitation. He's saying, come, come. You can, you can put it all aside and you too, even if you've killed the Messiah himself, you too can receive repentance and forgiveness of sins. They're not bringing condemnation, but they're bringing an invitation to come and receive this free gift. And the same invitation is extended to each and every single one of us this morning. And the question we need to ask is, is Jesus worthy of our allegiance and affection? Because following Jesus does indeed come with a cost, does it not? We see it even in this own passage. They're beaten. That's not the best selling point. And yet, It's the cost of following Jesus. We know deep down in our souls that our sin and guilt and shame and selfishness is the source of our problems. And yet, the free gift of the Lord Jesus Christ is that you would come, repent of your sins, receive forgiveness, and live for something much greater than yourself and experience his peace, his joy, and everlasting life with him. Now, we come to point three. We see pragmatism and rejoicing. This is in 33 to 39. We see Gamaliel's words here, and he gives a speech after sending all the the apostles out. He more or less gives a speech that just says, let's wait and see. It's very pragmatic. Instead of killing them, which they were all ready to do, he says, let's just wait and see. And his rationale is that, well, there's that guy, Thudius. You remember him? Well, none of us remember him, but in those days, they remembered him. And he lived, and he got even 400 people to go with him. And then once he died, everything fizzled out. And then there was Judas the Galilean, same thing. Uprisings and rebellions and leaders will come and go. Let's just wait and see. But he speaks some profound words that ring true even to this day. And it shows up in verse 38 and 39. Look with me there. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So his advice is let's just leave them alone. Because it's, if it's of man, it's, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, we, we, we can't stop it. And so let me ask us this. Has this uprising failed? No, it hasn't. We are gathered together this morning. And all Christians are gathered together this morning to celebrate Easter. 2.5 2. 
billion people all around the world who are declaring he's risen. He's risen indeed. It's the largest religion in the world, representing nearly one-third of the world's population, began with one guy in Jerusalem and his 12 apostles. There are Christians in every continent and every country. 2.5 billion people worship the name of Jesus, preach the name of Jesus, and would be willing to be beaten for the name of of Jesus. It has not failed for 2,000 years. And so Gamaliel's words ring all that much more true. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. There have been opponents and opposition from day one. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has not been able to be stopped. And for another 2,000 years, if he tarries, He will not be stopped. This gospel goes forth. Even if we're beaten, we will proclaim the name of Jesus and invite others to come and receive eternal life and forgiveness of sins that's found only at the foot of the cross. This is the glorious message of Easter. And we're a part of it this morning. It has not failed. And so I just pray that this morning, whether this is your very first Easter or your 20th, that our hearts would well up with fresh praise and fresh thanksgiving, knowing that what Jesus has done has eternal significance for our life now and for the rest of the world. And how does the story end? They agree with Gamaliel, they beat them, they charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And what we see is God's sovereign power at work. They're beaten and bleeding, but they're not broken. Their backs are tender, but their hearts are full and their smiles are big and their arms are raised in triumph. We're counted worthy to suffer with Jesus. Their wounds are real, but they rejoice with unspeakable joy. And so how can we have peace and joy this morning? Join the unstoppable work of Jesus. So the main point of our passage is that the unstoppable work of Jesus continues and it is never regrettable to believe in and live for Jesus. The unstoppable work of Christ continues and it's never regrettable to believe in and trust in him. The apostles were not embarrassed or ashamed, but they welled up with joy. The power of Jesus cannot be stopped. And so this morning, I just want to remind us again of the truths that we already know and to let them land on our hearts with fresh awe. We have a sacrificial savior. His blood flowed red and our sins washed white. We have a glorious Savior. Even the wind and the waves obey him. We have a gracious Savior. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not blow out. We have a sovereign Savior. He causes all things to come to pass according to his will and according to his perfect wisdom. We have a loving Savior who came not to condemn the world, but to give his life as a ransom in order to save it. 
And so not only is Jesus the risen and exalted Lord, but right now he's working. He's working in us and he's working through us to draw many more into his kingdom. And so some of us this morning, you might be thinking, well, my life isn't all that bad. I have glimpses of joy. The tension of the world isn't so bad. But Gamaliel's words continue to ring true. You have to grapple. Is Jesus and his kingdom of man or of God? Because if it's of man, you can forget about it and dismiss all the evidence of the last 2,000 years. But if it's of God, you will not be able to stop it and you may even be found opposing God. And so we're calling you again. Come and find yourself as part of this story. Wash yourself in this fountain of blood that flowed from Jesus' side as he sacrificed himself so that we might have life and have life abundantly. How can we experience peace and joy when our world is full of tension and hostility and heartache? It's because Jesus has paid the cost for our sins. He was cursed so that we could have life. He died a death so that death now becomes a doorway to heaven. He perfectly satisfied the wrath of God that we rightly deserved so that we could have life. And so for all of us who are trusting in Jesus this morning, let's be those who boldly, joyfully, Thankfully, proclaim his name to the very ends of the earth. Endure suffering for the name of Jesus. You will never be put to shame. Why? Because your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And we will dwell with him forever and ever and ever. And Jesus is unstoppable. Let's pray. Father, that is our heart's cry this morning. Give us joy in Jesus. Help us to see him more clearly so that you would get all the praise and honor. We thank you that you are worthy of all of our affections and praise. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Five five four one five. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.